everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Roots to STEM podcast, a podcast where we talk to scientists about the paths they've taken to get where they are today and the lessons that they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Steph Katie. On today's episode, I talk with my friend Eduardo Tassoni, who is a PhD candidate in the biology department at Stanford, working in on Brandman's lab in the biochemistry department. Eduardo is an international student coming to Stanford from Brazil, and in our conversation today, we talk about what it's like to be an international student getting your PhD in the U.S. As an American citizen myself, there are so many things that Eduardo talks about that I've definitely taken for granted that I don't have to deal with. But even though Eduardo has had to deal with some additional barriers to get here, the takeaway message from him is that if you're an international student who wants to come to the U.S. or grad school, Yes, there may be some additional barriers, but that should not stop you from pursuing your dreams and applying. It's always a pleasure to talk to Eduardo, so I hope you enjoy. Hi, Eduardo. Thank you for being here. Hi, Steph. Thanks for inviting me. That's really exciting. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with just some easy questions. Can you tell us who you are, what your job is, and a little bit about the research that you do? Sure. Uh... So my name is Eduardo. I am a grad student here at Stanford in the biology department, and I'm currently in my third year of my PhD, and I am an international student as well. I, I, I was born and raised in Brazil, uh, in Sao Paulo specifically, and right now I work in this lab, uh, in the lab of uh, Professor On Bremen in the biochemistry department, and we basically study how cells respond to stress but in the cellular like level which is basically like trying to understand how cells make decisions once they face some specific stressors in terms of that might affect the way they're going to survive specifically Mm -hmm. like you know the cell needs some physiological conditions like good conditions to like do cell division or just to make like proteins and other cellular processes but those things are not necessarily essential in a short period of of time once the cell is like undergoing stress in order to survive. So there's a shift in like uh, proteins that are being uh, produced during the stress response. And I try to understand like how this decision is made, like what is essential for solving specific uh, types of stressors compared to like what is not essential and what should be repressed, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What sorts of stressors do you look at? Like, are these the types of things that the average person who says, you know, I'm feeling stressed or whatever, are their cells experiencing the types of stress that you're putting them in? Uh, it's not like, you know, what we would expect from like a human being of being like, hey, today was a really long day and I'm really stressed out because of, you know, noise or anything. It's similar in some aspects, you know, like some people, you'll feel really uncomfortable when it's like so hot outside or like mm-hmm. in a really like warm environment. Mm-hmm. So like heat stress, it's something that, you know, cells have to do with that more specifically because it triggers uh, protein uh, misfolding. So like all the proteins need a specific uh, structure to actually perform like the functions that they're supposed to perform. Mm -hmm. And if it's too hot, like you just lose all that, you know, the structure. And that's what we usually see when we're like cooking, like boiling an egg or like frying an egg. And like Mm -hmm. we see that difference in like how the egg looks like just because the proteins that are in the egg are like denaturing. Yeah, heat stress is a nice example, though, where I feel like most people are super familiar with how that feels, but don't think about what's happening in their cells that's causing that to happen. Yeah. So that's cool. (laughs) Okay. So 
can you tell us how did you first become interested in science? Did you have like a moment as a kid where you're like, oh, yes, this is for me or was it more gradual or how did that happen? Yeah, it was kind of gradual, I think. I was always interested in, you know, like animals and like zoology in general, you know, watching like Discovery Channel or like watching like some uh, TV shows that were like going to the wild and like seeing animals and like biodiversity and all those kind of things. And I'm like, oh, that's really nice. And just like, it was like a hobby when I was uh, in middle school, just like going to school and then coming back home and, you know, watching that on TV, mm-hmm. watching cartoons as well. But that was like <laughs> a, a, a cool thing to watch. And then I believe as I start to get older, uh, you know, in high school, then I started to like take biology classes that I have a I had a really really good like uh, teacher like biology teacher Mm -hmm. he was like amazing and that was like uh yeah my freshman year well the the equivalent of a freshman year in high school here and he was just like amazing he was like really really good and I think like the first things we were learning at that time was like zoology like uh we go over like all the different uh kingdoms and like all the different like uh classifications of animals and we study like different types of cells different types of tissues and like evolution of those things and I really like that and I was like oh maybe biology is something you know maybe that's really interested but you know most of the people that actually like biology back home are more interested in like the you know human health side of it like Mm -hmm. you know dealing with patients like maybe being a doctor or like a physician in the future or even going you know like uh that school or like studying like animals and treating animals mm-hmm. and then that's when like things I have to explain like that things are a little different back home that like some of those career options are made really early as soon as you go to college so like it's not okay. that you go to you know you can go an, uh, an undergrad degree can be like by bi- to be a biologist like you can go to like you go to to college already decided like what you're going to major on like you enter college like it's not that you go to university and then you know you know you Mm -hmm. take classes and then decide it's like I'm applying to biology to like this specific university and like if you don't get in like I'm sorry you didn't get in like yeah try, try again but just explaining that biology is you know a major but like med school is also like an undergrad degree like a major like you don't go to like biology to then like you know once you graduate you go to med school like you can go to med school as soon as you're out of like high school like when you're like 17 18 oh wow but it's super super competitive as you can imagine like as it's here but you know some people like do it and yeah that kind of influenced my decision when I was in high school like I really like biological sciences in general but I don't see myself you know going to med school like for college right like the degree back home is or I don't like and I don't see myself as well like studying like going to vet school or you know trying to like any other thing in biological sciences I only see myself you know being going to like a major in biology like a general biology and it's not even like molecular biology it's like broad biology like Mm -hmm. that goes like over ecology uh botany and zoology physiology like Mm -hmm. genetics cell biology everything so I really liked it because mostly because of this professor that I have like my freshman year of high school 
And then surprisingly, at the same time, he was doing a PhD when like while he was, you know, being a teacher hmm. uh, and he was doing his PhD at the university that I ended up uh, attending, but he was doing his PhD in biology, but like he didn't actually like talked a lot about like, you know, being a scientist in general, but I just really like biology because the way he like used to explain things and like, yeah. uh, get this more, you know, how to ask questions, how to ask scientific questions. So then, you know, I was kind of leaning towards biology for, for like as my major. And then, yeah, uh, sophomore, like that's a little different as well, but like my senior and like sophomore freshman, well, sorry, sophomore, junior and like senior, we only have three years of high school. So it's a little different that like, okay. you know, <laughs> the two last years of somewhere high school. There. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere there. <laughs> this professor laughed actually, like he quit his job and went to like teach in another school and I got really, really sad. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? And then another one uh, came and I didn't like her that much <laughs> for some reason. Like it wasn't that interesting anymore, like the way she taught it, but like I still really liked it like just by reading and studying it by myself that I was still like leaning towards, you know, studying biology. So yeah, I think this decision was not that well thought, I would say, because, you know, I didn't at that time, you know, some lots of people think about like the future in terms of like, it's not that you go to biology here and then like, oh, maybe later I'll go to med school, you know, like, you either study to go to med school like really, really hard at that time or like you accept that, you know, I'm going to be a biologist. Yeah. And, like usually when you tell someone back home that you're studying biology, they are like, oh, are you going to be a teacher? Like because hmm. you're going to teach biology. Yeah. Interesting. And then and then, yeah, I was kind of like not really I didn't think a lot about like this option of like, what am I going to do when I, you know, once I graduate, like what are the. Uh, opportunities that I might have as a biologist right. in general. Yeah. So what was college like? So you had to decide biology when you went in. And so that's very different from at least a lot of like American yeah. universities. Um, so what did that look like? And did you do research when you were an undergrad? So as I was saying, in terms of, you know, applying to college, usually apply to like already major in something. Mm-hmm. And then the threshold to get in like to like whatever university depends on like what you're ma- like trying to major in or like mm-hmm. try to study so like med school will be like super super hard biology is not that hard but uh i had to study a lot and like my education back home like in like school related wasn't that good uh you know it we had some things, but we didn't have like good chemistry classes, for example, or some other mm-hmm. classes. And then I have to like do some extra, like a kind of like a prep school to take those exams and actually like, you know, the exam asks for this kind of content. And I haven't, I've never seen this like so far, like when right. I was in high school. So it was a year that like my uh, senior year of high school that I was like in school, but still like kind of taking uh, classes in the night shift, like from 7 to 11 p.m. every Whoa. single day for like a year just to like prepare for this exam. Whoa. And the good thing is like, I ended up like, you know, <laughs> getting into college and it was like a dream come true, just like going to college as, you know, my my parents didn't attend college at all. So I'm like, yay, finally, you know, this all like all this work is paying off. And then I was really excited to start and another thing that I need to highlight is uh, we have 
option sometimes like depending on like the major to take like a full period kind of thing so like you're having classes in the morning and in the afternoon mm -hmm. or sometimes there are options that are just like in the night shift okay like, you only have classes in the night shift and that's like because some people you know still have to work like you know full-time during right. college to be able to like pay or like like stay alive or something yeah so i actually uh was admitted to like studying in the night shift not okay. in the full period one so i'm like okay cool so i just have like classes like monday to friday from 7 p.m to 11 p.m mm -hmm. and i knew that i liked it because that's what i've like the prep course like the like previous year like has been like mm -hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I was really excited because, you know, biology, the first semester was kind of boring, though, because it's more like basic concepts that you need to actually like see the more in-depth like biology classes. And, you know, as I said, I was only taking classes in the night shift. And I think that's when I realized that I was also like fortunate that I didn't have to work like to help my mom financially. So like I could just be studying like throughout the day or doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then... I was actually getting a little bored by it, like by my second semester. And I'm like, oh, I have free time. Maybe I should try to get some other types of experiences after like realizing that I didn't like field work. <laughs> That's when I'm like, maybe I should try to go work in a lab, mm -hmm. like a research lab. Uh, and then that also like it's part of our like requirements to graduate. Like we okay. need to do like a, a year long research experience in a lab. Oh, wow. And like, actually, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes it's optional here to have like a undergrad thesis, like, mm -hmm. a, and then for, for, for us, it was kind of like a requirement as like the final conclusion, like work. Okay. But that couldn't, does not necessarily have to be like doing like lab research, like wet lab or dry lab. It could be like research and teaching as well, because mm -hmm. the degree splits into like a bachelor or like a teaching degree as well, or you can take both, but you can just take either one of them. Okay. So that's when I decided that, you know, I have free time and maybe I should try to ha like take the chance of working in a lab. And then, you know, but it was just my first semester. So I didn't have lots of like connections or like lots of professors. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know, like I had literally like this intro a class that introduced us to like animal biology and botany statistics, which is like, I'm not going to do research in the statistics. Yeah. Uh, systematics, which is like, hmm, not really. And then one of what's in the diversity of like uh, prokaryotes in general and like uh, not complex eukaryotes, so like unicellular eukaryotes. Mm -hmm. And the other one was in genetics. So yeah, it was like a semester long kind of class. And I was like, oh, I really like this. Some of the professors that teach the class work with flies. So that's why they <laughs> use flies yeah. as a, a model <laughs> organism for the class. But one of them didn't. And he worked with something that was, wasn't even genetics necessarily. It was more like biochemistry. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the professor that I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should email him. It sounds like cool. It's basically a lab that studies uh, how, like, uh, studies antioxidant proteins. So, like, mm -hmm. structure of antioxidant proteins. And I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds interesting more than do doing, like, classical genetics and flies. Yeah. Uh, and then he replied and be like, yeah, like you can start coming to the lab and try to work with this grad student. And I'm like, cool, nice. And then that was my second semester, you know, like starting to do some PCRs, starting mm -hmm. to do some cloning and like purifying some enzymes. And I was taking biochemistry 
like that second semester and I'm like, okay, like I'm trying to learn stuff that I haven't seen like in theory before, but it was a good thing that I was doing them in practice and then learning like in class and actually yeah. like it was helping to, it was helping me to understand like what I exactly was doing and like what is exact the purpose of some steps. So like connecting the dots like all together. And then I, I started working in this lab but you know, come like going to lab like maybe twice, three times a week, like for a couple hours, like four hours a day, like two, two, three times a week, getting some stuff done. But then I realized that I actually don't like this kind of project, which was like, I don't care that much, like how the system acts in vitro or like just peering find this proteins and like reconstituting the system in vitro. <laughs> so I stopped going to lab a little bit, uh, like my third semester, like I was, going a little less frequent, but I was still like, you know, getting engaged and like doing my stuff. I had my own project, like it was a side project with a grad student, but that was just not that interested. And I was actually like thinking about, I, I, I was happy like to realize that I actually like to be like being in the lab and like working, doing research, like wet mm -hmm. lab research, but not that kind of like in vitro, like biochemistry, like purifying proteins and yeah. like, those in vitro stuff and i'm like i want to do something in vivo like you know cell biology related yeah or like actually seeing things inside the cell and like right. the phenotypes instead of just like uh mathematical like yeah, yeah, yeah. or like parameters yeah and that's when i was trying to like maybe i should try to find another uh lab mm -hmm. but I, I couldn't find like a good lab that was actually like i was interested in so I actually talked to my PI back then. It's like, hey, I don't like this project that much. And he was like, oh, you can try to do something else. What do you want to do? And I'm like, something more in vivo or something more, you know, relevant. <laughs> Not relevant. Yeah. But like, that I feel like that is more relevant. Yeah. And he was like, oh, maybe you can try to work with this grad student or this other person. And then I'm like, oh, cool. I'll talk to them and see, like, what exactly are they doing? So then I talked to those two grad students. And one of them I really liked, which was... Uh, actually working uh, in yeast, like with yeast, and try to understand, like just using yeast as a model organism to understand protein aggregation. But it was actually like mm. studying a human protein in yeast, just okay. as, like some of the bas basic mechanisms of like protein aggregation is pretty similar, like in eukaryotes in general. So like from yeast to like mammalian cells mm -hmm. that I thought that it was like a simple way to ask a question and actually like, be able to like test that. And he had like cool data that he showed me and I'm like, oh, that would be interested. Uh, so yeah, and then I stayed in the same lab, but I kind of just shift like projects mm -hmm. to work with this other grad student. And that was like the end of my third semester. So like my, my sophomore year, like the middle of my sophomore year. And then I stayed working in that project for four years. <laughs> wow, cool. Because yeah, I really liked it. And I, so yeah, I only had one lab research experience as an undergrad, but it was like a five year long <laughs> yeah. research experience in the same lab. Okay, so then you graduate. And then did you go right from undergrad to grad school or did you do anything like working or anything like that in between? So... I didn't work. I came straight from undergrad. Mm -hmm. What I so did. What was that like? It was uh, curious because I like at that time I okay. So I need to explain that I actually did an internship as an undergrad 
you know, because I was funded by this, uh, eight, like, uh, it would be like a, an equivalent of like the NIH or NSF here mm -hmm. for like undergrads. Like you're being paid every month to do this project and you have some money to like buy some reagents as well. So I was like, you know, have this money for a project. And then they gave me, or there were like, they didn't give me, like there was an opportunity that, to ask for, to ask to develop part of your project abroad, you know, as long as you justify that it's something that you cannot do like in Brazil because it lacks resources or it lacks the expertise to do so. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'm like, oh, maybe I should try this. You know, I want to have a little bit of like experience abroad. Mm -hmm. And then I applied actually to come here to Stanford. And I'm like, what, what are the odds? It's like the odds, it's kind of interesting because the good thing about this, uh, this uh, program or like this fellowship, it's like connected to your project, which is already approved. So it's not hard to get that approved. Mm. And the good thing is like, it doesn't have any, you know, relationships to like pre-approved like schools or institutions. It's like, they are going to evaluate based on like, what are the needs for your project? Like, you know, you have this project and you have to give like annual reports of what you're doing like twice a, like twice a year actually. Mm -hmm. And you know, they know what you're doing and you know, like how, how much progress you're making. And then, you know, you justify that like, hey, for this project to actually work or move forward, I need to learn this or it would be really nice to do this and this and that. And that's why I'm requesting to like go to this specific institution to work with this specific professor. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, there are, it's not that there's some approved like schools or professors that are willing to take students. So it's more like you have to make the connection with the professor to like be accepted. And mm -hmm. then you apply to this fellowship, like, and okay. hope that it's accepted. So that's what I did. Uh, I thought about, you know, I was trying to understand this question of like how this human protein aggregates mm -hmm. in yeast, like, you know, a basic organism, but like this human protein, this mutation that makes it aggregation prone actually causes like a disease in humans. So like, it's really like clinically relevant, mm -hmm. but like the lab that it's really like an expert and like understanding like protein aggregation and like dealing with protein aggregations, it's a lab here in Stanford, like Judith Freeman, mm -hmm. which is the lab that, you know, my PI email, like, Hey, I have this really like, uh, curious undergrad that is thinking about like that is doing this project and we're we have the opportunity of like requesting this fellowship to like do part of the research abroad and then you know we never met Judith before like she doesn't even know who, who we are and then she replies in like 30 minutes like sounds good you should apply and then like we're like what <laughs> and cool. that's when I'm like oh cool you know like professor Stanford wants me to go there cool awesome yeah and that's when we applied, it got approved, but it didn't work the first time just in terms of, you know, getting all the like visa and like all the documents mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. like, I, cause that was a thing with like all the paperwork from the funding agency. And like, there's a deadline that you have to go like, and Stanford only allowed undergrads to come in the summer. And the summer here is like June to September. And like back home is like, uh, like December to like February or March. Right. And I'm like, you know, it's not matching. Like I have classes this other time. I have classes in June. Right. I have classes in like August. But, you know, it didn't work the first time. But the following year, like I had to renew this fellowship again. And I asked mm -hmm. again for like, you know, try it. Let's try it again. And yeah. Judith was like, yeah, you should try. And then it worked. 
and I came in June of 2017 and I'm like oh cool you know I'll be doing this project abroad in like like a place like Stanford yeah you know with a fellowship of like $1,200 and I'm like which basically paid my rent here in Palo Alto because you know that's so expensive yeah <laughs> and you know my mom had to make really like an effort just to like like give me a couple like a little bit of money to just to like eat right and then my PI like there was some taxes like to have this cat like this category of like undergrad visiting researcher like it was like $500 like for the quarter and I'm like this is so like expensive yeah like, yeah and then I was quite fortunate that my PI back home paid for that and I'm like oh cool like I don't have to worry about that Good, yeah and you know it was only like two months and a half so you know it's going to be a challenge but financially we can make it yeah so I came and I come to this lab like I've never been abroad before at all like this is the first time I'm going abroad so uh, how old were you at this point I was 21 21 okay yeah so like I've never was, this is a, like this was the second time I was like flying like <laughs> at all like yeah in general and then like coming to the US like I've never been abroad at all like before and I was going alone and I'm like I don't know what's gonna be but you know it's only three months I can't make it and then I got into this place in a lab that had like 17 postdocs three grad students and like Whoa. not many undergrads and I'm like what am I doing here <laughs> I don't know <laughs> and that's when I felt like the shock of like how undergrads are treated differently and like you know back home and like here and I'm like they don't even care that much about like what I'm doing or like mm or try to engage with me, you know, I don't know anyone in this country. And it's not right. like there's someone, it's not that I have a cohort or like there's another person in my position. Like, right. I didn't know anyone. And I'm like, okay, but you know, three months, I'm just going to do my research. I was living with like a, like a family, like an American family in Palo Alto, mm -hmm. which is also didn't ha like help that much in terms of like, you know, meeting people. Yeah. Meeting people <laughs> or like having things to do. So I'm like, right. that was really hard. Like the first month and a half, like, feeling yeah. really lonely and like you know I don't know what to do and like having lunch alone and like not you know exploring the city alone like I don't even yeah. know what to do but you know it's temporary but yeah. then at some point things got started to get really really better like I like I was fortunate that like the lab you know it was just a matter of like not knowing them and you know still like you're new so we don't know you either but like starting to invite me over uh, for lunch and Judith you know, she's Argentinian and she has like so many uh, Latino like postdocs and like grad <clears throat> students that, you know, they all have lunch together. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, those are those people are culturally more like close to like what I'm used to than, right. you know, some of, you know, more the more traditional American way, let's say right. American culture. And I'm like, OK, cool. You know, those people are cool. And, you know, they're uh have like giving me the opportunity to be part of the lab and you know communicate and I didn't feel as an undergrad anymore at some point like mm. I felt like a grad student like I had my own bench like because yeah. I was doing my own project I wasn't working like I had two postdocs that were kind of like mentoring me but like I was mm. doing my own project and I have my own like hypothesis and all my my own stuff so I, I was actually like at some point it started to become really really nice yeah but then it's time to leave and I'm like no <laughs> and that's when I'm like okay cool I have to leave and uh you know but I worked with some excellent people and that's when I'm like oh like you know I can do research in a place like this or like people were telling me like hey you should apply to grad school in the U.S. and I'm like what how does that work and they're <laughs> like oh 
you can just apply. And I'm like, but I don't have a master's. And he was like, you don't have, you don't need a master's. And I'm like, but I cannot pay. And they were like, you don't have to pay. You're going to make money as a grad student. And I'm like, oh, how does that work? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Yeah. And then they were explaining to me like, you know, you should do this and this and that, or, you know, you need like letters of recommendation. Uh, You need your uh, statement of purpose and you need this and you need that and you need like the TOEFL like for the English proficiency test mm-hmm. you need the GRE and I'm like okay cool I guess I'll look into that and then I came home you know the internship was over September of 2017 mm-hmm. and then I'm like cool uh, you know deadline for applying is December maybe I should try and then I'm like <laughs> most stressful like <laughs> period of my life I think so, yeah, it was really, really stressful. But, you know, I applied in December of 2017 to start in the fall of 2018. And that's when I actually, you know, got the offers. Like I applied to eight schools and then got offers from four. They, I was really happy that they actually paid for me to like fly here to like do my interviews. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, second time I'm going to the U.S. And, you know, yeah. first time I didn't have to pay for anything in theory because it was like, you know, funded by the this agency, mm-hmm. like by... Uh, my research project and then second time is like you know I went to the west coast because I had two interviews the, or two interviews in the west coast two interviews in the east coast mm-hmm. I saw snow for the first time because I had to do an interview like you know in New York yeah what did you think of it I didn't like it and I'm like <laughs> I like this I interviewed in Cornell and I'm like in Ithaca and I'm like I really like you know the people here in the labs but I don't think I can live in a place like this yeah that's a rough transition from five months six Brazil months to, to like, Ithaca you know, cold yeah. back home is like 60 50 degrees and like it was like literally like zero degrees and I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> how no thank you <laughs> Yeah, so it was a weird transition. Like, it was straight from undergrad, but I wasn't really, like, sure what I was doing. I was just, like, some people were, like, encouraging me, but not actually, you know, like, talking to me one-on-one. They just put that idea into, like, my brain. And then mm-hmm. this other friend that actually thought about applying but ended up not applying kept, like, stimulating it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll yeah. try. I don't have, you know, I don't have anything to lose except, like, the money for, like, paying for these exams and, like, the application fees. Right. And I never thought I would be in, like, in a place such, like, like as Stanford to begin with. But, like, yeah. as an undergrad and being there, they were like, oh, no, you, like, you're really good. You should apply. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, you have a different standard of, like, what do you think really, really smart people, like, are. And then, you know, how scientists and a place like Stanford, like, behave or, like, think. But they were like, no, you should definitely apply. And I'm like, I don't think I have chances. And they're like, no, you really have chances. And I'm like... If, you t- if you're saying so, yeah. I I'll give it a try. <laughs> oh. So yeah, uh-huh. I did it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so how do you think that being an international student has made your experience in grad school different than like, let's say mine? Uh, yeah, I think the most obvious is like, you know, I came to this country alone, so I don't have any relatives or like, like friends here. Like, yeah. The only people that I knew was like the people that I worked before at like during my internship because I ended up coming to the same exact place. Mm-hmm. So it made the transition a little easier as, you know, I started grad school and the type of program that I'm like that we are in, we have to do rotation. So the first lab I rotated was the lab that I did my internship as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, I know you all. And like, we're friends. So we're hanging out and I'm like, cool. 
but it's definitely really different in terms of you know you get here you don't have anything like the only things you have it's two luggages like two bags of like yeah. clothes and like okay now i have i don't have i need to buy a cell phone i don't need to have like a, a sim card or anything yeah, yeah, yeah i don't have nothing so it's hard for this and hard for not having like family or friends around like yeah from what do you used to have this was actually you know the second time i was like going abroad for like a more than a week like mm -hmm. first time was like the three months internship second time was like interviews which was like a week long mm -hmm. and then third time is like living abroad for my phd for five six years yeah so i'm like i don't know how that's gonna be because i've never lived far away from home for like such a long time like i used to still live with my mom before coming here like moving right. here because i didn't have money to like live have a place for my own or like rent a place yeah so I'm like, cool, let's see how it's like. But I think the internship was a good training of like, you know, it was really hard to be alone, but now I think I can stand it. Or, you know, I feel a little more used and I know how the culture is, is like and, you know, how to actually like adapt my, myself or like, it's not going to be that big of an issue as it was before. Mm -hmm. There's like times that are, it's really hard. And I think especially it was challenging coming from a country that, you know, everything is like you make way less money and then like having to move somewhere. And in the beginning, it's always hard because you move and like it takes a while to get paid. Like I remember yeah. coming here like the first week of September, only getting paid like the 22nd of October. And I'm like, I yeah. have like... <laughs> $1,500 and you know I have to buy a bike and I have to buy like kitchen stuff and I need to like you know right. do this and this and that I, I didn't have like you know a sim card so I had to do that and it's just like a bunch of things adding up and I'm like when am I getting paid yeah you know and actually not knowing exactly like can I survive in this country with this amount of money like I don't right. I didn't have any sort of uh I wasn't thinking that much like you know how much am I going to pay like every month to like eat or something or like just right. to live like, you know, a normal life. And then I was like, I don't know. It was just full of uncertainties of like, I'm not, I'm not sure how it's going to be because the first time I was getting money from like my mom, mm -hmm. but it was just for like two months. But now like, you know, I'm responsible for everything that I have right. to do. And like, this is my money. And like, I need to survive with this. And hopefully be able to save some and help my family if they need to because right you know a minimum wage back home like every month would be like two hundred dollars now so it's like you know yeah it's not a lot and like yeah and palo alto is so expensive yeah and i'm like okay yeah yeah. So I need to be able to help them somehow if something happens. Like, right. It's not that they can help me if something happens here. Like right. I have to be more responsible like, yeah. with my mom at least. And then yeah, like, yeah. that's the part that it wasn't necessarily like it's hard for being international, but I think just like my background as, as well, like, you know, a first gen college student and I don't even know like if that would be considered like for the American standards of like when you convert things will be like low income for sure. But like back <laughs> home, not necessarily low income, you know, there's right. really more like poor people, unfortunately, but right. What yeah. Else? Yeah. Like making connections was not that easy in the beginning. It was just a different like lifestyle. And like, although I knew how it was to do research here, I didn't even know like how it was like classes and I was really mm -hmm. insecure about my English in general. Like 
I've only talked like have to think and talk in English for like three months during their internship. I right. haven't really, you know, I studied English when I was like 11 until I was like 14, but then I stopped and I never like really had to like talk to anyone in English back home. Like, huh. you know, we don't have anyone that it's, it's not common to have like foreigners there. So like you're only talking and doing science in Portuguese. Right. So like, and then I come here during the internship and I'm like, okay, it's a little easier to talk science because I still read like papers in English and right. You know, I was forcing myself eventually when I was thinking about coming to do my internship, you know, giving lab meetings in English and like try to practice. But, you know, like day to day, like talking and like conversation, I'm like, I don't know how to say this or like taking me such a long time just to like think. Yeah. About, like, what I have to say and feeling really insecure, like I have to rehearse everything I'm going to say like beforehand. That when I moved like and started grad school, like taking classes and I'm like, I don't really understand what they're saying or like, you know, mm. or like... I don't understand like this, uh, this, uh, they're being too jargony here. I don't really right. know what that means. And, you know, it was just hard and feeling like people were judging me, like judging my English. In yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I still feel that, but I don't care anymore. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just accept that it's, it's not my native language. So like, if you're listening to the, this podcast, you might have caught so many mistakes, but <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's a, a frustrating American trait to, want everyone to speak perfect English, but simultaneously exclusively no English. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not going to bother learning your language, but I expect you to speak mine perfectly. And I'm going to be annoyed if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand why Americans often. That was a challenge that. a little bit. Yeah. The, the language just, you get used and like, it took a really long time to just like be able to like think in English. Yeah. But right now, right now I was actually like, analyzing myself the other day is like I'm thinking you know you know when you talk to yourself like in your own head mm -hmm. and like and I'm like I'm actually talking to myself in English sometimes and I'm like what <laughs> this is weird <laughs> but yeah what other challenges yeah I think just moving to another country is hard and I think you know we saw especially this year with like the pandemics and you know not being able to go back home and yeah just being a little bit isolated or like not that connected to your family anymore and you see like how different like how things change a little bit you know not being able to go back home it's not that you know you know that once you don't see your college friends anymore like friends that you used to be close with that relationship change but it's not that you live you know sometimes you just don't see them because you're working in another job but you're mm -hmm. still living in the same city so it's easy but like you know you go yeah. back home once a year maybe or like yeah sometimes twice a year but it's not the same thing so it's just like adapting to like live here and like not being able to see them or especially right now that like winter break is coming and not being able to go back home because otherwise I'll have to quarantine two weeks in Mexico to be able to enter the country again or like seeing how Trump is doing some of you know yeah kind of things for like immigrants in terms of you know F1 visa you know we're gonna change yeah. the maximum duration or all the different like immigration rules that I'm like <laughs> When it's going to happen to me, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I cannot, I cannot predict what's going to happen in the future. So it's kind of like stressful, but... Yeah. Do you have any regrets about coming to the U.S. for grad school? Uh, I don't think so. Like, I think sometimes I might have a slight regret of just like, you know... When things are really, really hard and like, you know, why am I living in another country and like far away from like all my friends and family when, you know, 
science is not working every like yeah <laughs> every, yeah like anything I try it's not working at all and like I don't know how to like what to do and then be like you know I'll be happy I really like teaching as well and I'm like I having a teaching degree back home and I'm like I'll be happy being like a teacher for like a biology or science in like high school or like mid like basic like education level like mid school right. and then I'm like why why does it have to be so hard like yeah it's easier yeah but at the same time, you know, I took this challenge and it's not that it's going to be like this forever. So, right. What advice would you give someone who international or not, or perhaps you could give, you know, if you have specific international advice, that's great. But what advice would you give someone who's interested in pursuing a career in science? I would say that and that could be specifically to international students. Sometimes we see like, you know, all those worldwide like worldwide uh, ranks of like institutions and they're usually like 90 percent of them are in the u.s and you'd be like hey like you know those are really really like great competitive places and you know i'll never have a chance to actually you know be in a place like that or something you know to be part of it because mm-hmm. i'm attending a university that is not even like in the you know top 300 list as like my university was kind of like top 300 or something mm-hmm. You know, it was the best one in uh, Latin America in theory, but, you know, and the, for, compared to the rest of the world, it's not even top 300. So I'm like, what right. does that mean? I don't know how that those ranks are, you know, calculated or like made, but right. I, I, I would say that my college like training, my undergrad training was really good in terms of, you know, actually thinking as a scientist and like doing projects for like, you know, things that I actually don't even work with right now. Yeah. Like, I really had a really rich experience and, but I still like didn't feel confident enough. Like I thought that people that were attending like Ivy League institutions or even like some good institutions in the U.S. were like geniuses and like, you know, I yeah. don't, you know, those are really, really good scientists and I'll never have a chance. And then I'm actually like, it took me, I, I had to come here to realize and like people had to tell me like, hey, actually, no, you, you know, you fit here. And so I think I would suggest or recommend that, you know, you don't give up on like the dreams that you have sometimes. Like if you want to become, if you want to become a scientist and you have this aspiration of, you know, going to do research in top institutions, you get like the best training. We know that sometimes we get decent training uh, in college, like during your undergrad because it's more like teaching focus and, you know, mm. but whenever you have to do research, you need money to do so. You need funding, you need infrastructure. So uh-huh. it's just a conjunction of things that like, you know, you can get good training and you can still be a really good scientist, but you need resources to do that. So if your dream is to actually become a really good, like get the best training and get like the best opportunities and you want to come to the U.S. or like go to other places that you don't see yourself fitting in because, you know, it's not achievable, let's say, in theory, because it's not a part of your reality. That's not right. true all the time. Like, yeah, sometimes we do have like really good chances of coming to places like this. And I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to like advocate more uh, lately, like try to uh, encourage people at least back home to apply because we do have like lots of chances of getting in- admitted to such like programs, PhD programs in the US. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm American and so I can't really speak to this super well, but I think people shouldn't be discouraged from applying to programs in the U.S. If even if you're international. 
yeah and i know it's a challenge like financially say like speaking in terms of you know some of the things are not you you cannot get up or apply to waivers sometimes like to pay for your application fee and like you know i was lucky that back then when i was applying like the conversion for from like dollars to like the brazilian currency wasn't that strong as it is right now like it increased it almost like twice so i'm like okay yeah. like yeah you know what if what, what does like how does applying to grad school is like right now like with this conversion like for international students or even like you have a restriction like every program like in terms of funding how many grad students you can take that come from outside the US right so like those are things that are actually like super mysterious sometimes and you know can be frustrating because sometimes you do even try but you still don't get in because you know there are some additional barriers in in the middle that just prevent you from getting there yeah but i think there's a bunch of misinformation or like lack of information that needs to be clarified for people especially international students like you know why don't make things clear like whenever you're applying to grad school like what are the acceptance rates for international students or like what's the proportion of international grad students yeah and you see like if we actually have a chance or like is yeah. it worth like applying and like paying that fee for right you know i remember like when i was applying to ucsf for example a program that usually takes like 20 students every year and only one is international and you know wow. i knew that and i'm like you know it's not it's not a lot of money f- at least for this one so maybe i should give it a try uh, but i'm like 100% confident that it's not going to be and you're like what are the odds like you're competing with the rest of the world to like yeah. a really good program like it's not going to be me and it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like okay cool but you know i got an offer from other places so you know okay well thank you so much for doing this this was super awesome um if people want to contact you with questions or anything um how should they do that oh yeah first of all thank you for inviting me that was really yeah, really really fun i really loved it uh yeah if people want to contact me they can follow me on twitter if they want it's uh, at @eduardo e d u r d o uh underline tassoni t a s s o n i or also email me at etassoni uh, at stanford.edu. So awesome. those are, I think, the most, like, the easiest ways of reaching out to me because that's okay. what I usually check, like, daily. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this amazing episode with Eduardo. And thank you again to Eduardo for being here and doing this with us. Please feel free to reach out to myself or to Eduardo about anything related to this episode. Our contact info is in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, you can find us at our website, rootstostempodcast.com, or reach out to us via email at rootstostempodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with our next episode in two weeks.